I'm going to read your thoughts. Let's see now. You come here from a great distance? Yeah, exactly. Don't tell me. Uh, you want me to buy a subscription to the Saturday Evening Post? No. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word now. Quiet. Uh, donations. You want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? Doc. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. Welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I am your host, James Kent. And now, here he is, the head of the 2024 campaign to re-elect President Trump, otherwise known as Crept. <laughs> Teal. How's it going, buddy? I think we're going to go with committee to re-elect every Trump. So it's uh, Crete. Crete. I was really wishing that the Trump, I was trying to look for a Y so we could just say creepy. I know. Yeah. If we could somehow get it to be creepy. I mean, I, I think that would have been better. Okay. Well, let's work on this acronym because I'm really going to need, uh, I'm, I'm going to need, the acronym is really important to my work over the next four years. Well, crept, you know, it's like authoritarianism just crept in there and tried to take hold of our country. Correct. Uh, and so far, I'm not sure, but I, I think I think democracy is at least a little bit saved for another day. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, we'll see. Well, yeah, yeah. In any event, uh, it's good to know that there's really no movies being made or released. Oh, I know. You know, it's I, I knew this would eventually happen, but we're yeah. starting to get into this rough patch where, for streaming services, yeah. you'd normally start seeing the spring movies. Yep. But now we don't have those. Now we don't have those. And so I, I, I look for what we have. I, there's something I am looking forward to uh, coming up. Do you still have the Hulu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you know what's coming up on November 25th? Mm, no. Well, there's a new holiday movie. Uh-huh. You know, holiday movie. Oh, yeah, I know. What's the movie? Okay. I, I can't remember. I, I didn't write this down, so I don't have the title. <laughs> oh, However, that, that's well, you don't need to okay. know that. It's, it's co-written. And it's also, it's directed by actress Clea Duvall. Okay. You know her? Yep, yep. Okay. It is the like the first- Happiest season is what it's yes, called. Yes, it's a lesbian holiday comedy. Oh, queer rom-com, happiest season. Okay. Who I love, yeah. And it's also got Mackenzie Davis. Okay, nice. And they are girlfriend and girlfriend. And uh, Mackenzie Davis has to take uh, Kristen Davis back home to meet the family over the holidays. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. And the family's really conservative, and they don't know their daughter is gay. Okay, oh, this uh, sounds pretty fun. So Kristen Stewart's in the car, 
not knowing that they don't know. <laughs> and she tells her, this is just a preview. Yeah. She tells her, oh, we don't know. So they're like, oh, so you, you basically they think that I'm your friend, your, your lesbian orphaned roommate. Is that, <laughs> that's who I am? Because I guess she's like an orphan or something. Right. And she says, well, not exactly because they don't know you're gay either. <laughs> they just think you're my orphan roommate. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, shenanigans ensue at the house. Okay, that sounds pretty fun. It just looks It sounds awesome. a lot more fun than uh, Robert Zemeckis' The Witches. Uh, you know, I know there's a little controversy going on uh, there is? with that movie. You didn't hear about this? No. Do you want me to tell you what the controversy is? I don't know. I will. So, <laughs> the, the head witch there. Um, Anne Hathaway. By Anne Hathaway, yeah. Uh, apparently, like one of the surprises when she takes off her witch costume uh-huh. and, she, and her regular person costume is that she only has like these kind of weird fingers. Uh-huh. There's only like two or three of them. Yeah. Right? Well, there's a community out there <laughs> of people who have a, a particular ailment where yeah. they only have a few fingers. Right. And they felt like this was belittling them and that nobody consulted them and that, you know, there's a sensitivity issue going on. Okay. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not, I'm, gonna, I'm not getting involved in that. Uh, for me, the controversy is just that I read a couple of reviews. Oh, you read? That's more than I did. I just know that I saw the trailer. And it was horrifying to me to look at something yes. that seemed to follow the exact game plan of the first movie of the witches, yes. which is based on a book. So I, yeah, I yeah. hope they had a blueprint, but it just, it had all of this CGI. Yes. And, and, it, and it's like kidified. That's what's great about the original one. Uh, from, scary. We would, I watched it yes. in, in the apartment. Yep. 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 And it's and scary. And we were surprised at how scary it was at first. And then it gets fun, but I mean, it was. Right. But it's, it's still a kid's movie, but it, uh, this article I read was basically like Roald Dahl understood that kids could, uh, could deal with a certain amount of horror. Yes. And so things being scary for a kid wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And the Zemeckis movie makes it all kitty friendly and puts, uh, you know, soft edges on everything. What happened to you, Bobby Zemeckis? Man. What? I mean, this guy. Yeah. He had a I, little bit of a run in the 80s, but geez. More than a little bit of a run. I mean, it, okay, it was a couple of movies, but it was... Those were some big movies. Well, let's see. He started, well, he didn't start, but like his 80s run began with used cars. Yes. Then Romancing the Stone. Yes. uh, Then Back to the Future. Yep. And did he do anything between Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2? Yes. What did he do? A little movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it's a little small. I see it's so small. I forgot. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, right, right, right. Of course. I didn't get my mind. I couldn't think of what was first, but you're right. Roger Rabbit 88 and then 89. So, I mean, this guy yeah. was building, building, building. Yeah. Then, I think afterwards was a movie that I found repellently awful. It just wasn't funny. Maybe Death it's Becomes because, Her? Yes. I hated it. I think he doesn't understand how to do comedy. Yeah, I know. I, I, I haven't seen that movie since then. Saw it in the theater. That was it. <laughs> yep, I saw it in the theater. That was it. Did not enjoy it. Thought it was lame and not funny. And I guess it had some special effects, whatever. But then he came back from that with his next film. You, so you're you looking this up because I am now looking it up. I think we're going to go through the whole filmography. <laughs> I've decided this is what we're doing for this episode now. Okay. So, okay. So. Wait a minute, though. I forgot. He did have a, right? So it wasn't Death Becomes Her that started the, the fall. It was Back to the Future Part 3. 
Okay, yeah, I was not really counting that because I... You know what? The first half hour of that's not bad. Right. And then it's just terrible. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. But uh, the reason I wasn't counting it is because, you know, they made both of them at the same time. Back and to so, back, I know. Yeah, they made them back to back. And so, it, yes, it's terrible, but I see it as sort of part of that. So, for me, it wasn't really until Death Becomes Her that he completely fell apart. And I'm, I'm a Back to the Future 2 apologist because I like that movie... Though I will, I will openly admit that there are some terrible aspects of it, but that leads me to the bigger problem with where Robert Demeckis couldn't see those problems, right? And, and then he he went in full, he put all his money and chips on that those same problems for Back to the Future Three. I like Back to the Future Two. I enjoy. I just it. think it has some. Re, it's a cool idea, and it's fun, and it's tricky and twisty, and, and dark yeah, at times, and dark at times, and yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I like it. I, yeah. Part three, terrible. Well, the question is, though, in many ways, it predicted the Trump presidency. Well, yes, it <laughs> the did. Alternate reality. It, it, yes, it did. It <laughs> Biff yep. Tannen. Yes. Biff Tannen. And I think was actually based on Trump, right? It might have because he was like a casino guy because he like, yeah. you know, got lucky. No, I think he was. I think he was actually based on Trump. Okay. So he go, he does. He comes roaring back and he wins an Oscar, though I would say that he should not have won the Oscar for uh, Forrest Gump, the big hit. Yeah, and boy, that's a that's a tough one. Huh? I know you like this movie. It is a guilty pleasure for us, right? It's one of those yeah. things that's so well-crafted in many regards that even though it's syrup and saccharin and it's very manipulative, you kind of go for it a little You bit. kind of fall for it. And it, I mean, if you don't fall for it, it's a terrible movie. I never thought it was the greatest film, but I enjoy it. That I feel the same way. And I watched it with my daughter, I think, when she was not nine or ten. She loved it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's not. I remember reading a review of it in Entertainment Weekly like the week it came out and they gave it a C. Right. I remember thinking, oh yeah, okay, not a big deal. It's just like a average movie, not very good. But then it went on to become something huge. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the phenomenon about it, that surprised me because I yeah. saw it at a sneak preview before it came out. Oh. It was a packed audience and we all enjoyed it. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, that was a good movie. But, right. but I remember because it was before it became a phenomenon, I never thought, oh, that's definitely going to be one of the best pictures of the year. Like, I, that just didn't right. even cross my mind. I, I thought maybe he would get a nomination or something. But no, I mean, and it made a ton of money. Oh, it was like the number one film that year. Yeah. Okay, so then 97, we're back. We're, we're heading on a downward trend. Contact. <laughs> which I'm with it until like the last uh, the third of the movie, which was terrible. Uh, for me, it's really like the last 15 minutes. It's not even the full okay, third. Okay, all right, all right. The last 15 minutes. Because, you know, you're building, building, building. Yeah. And in order for that to work, the ending has to nail it. And boy, it does. Boy, does it not nail it. And I haven't read the book, so I don't know if that's a problem from the source material or the movie. Mm, I'm, I'm guessing that no matter what. Even if it was the same as the source material, I'm sure in, in the way that the source material was written it was probably a little bit it may have worked better in in, in prose than yeah but i i agree i i kind of you know i haven't seen this movie since it was in the theater i saw contact 
out, I think, as a sneak preview. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I saw it then, and I haven't seen it since, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fine movie. I, I, I totally agree with you on the ending, but I, I didn't think it was terrible. Oh, as a matter of fact, you know what I think I saw Contact as a sneak preview with? It was, it was the sneak preview, and then playing afterwards was that John Travolta movie where he suddenly could uh, have telepathy powers. Phenomenon. He, yeah, I saw that with that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a real guilty pleasure for me. <laughs> oh, dear. Phenomenon uh, is a total guilty pleasure for me. Okay, so next, 2000, I think this is another downward move because I didn't like it at all, was What Lies Beneath. Okay, I have a few thoughts on this movie. <laughs> on What Lies Beneath? <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, uh, you, the paying member audience, uh, <laughs> we didn't plan this at all. <laughs> no, we had no plan. This is not what we were doing on the show today. Yeah. Matter of fact, right. I didn't even tell you what we're doing. So, but this is what we're doing. Well, I didn't tell you what I had planned either. I so. know. So this is this is a surprise for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what lies beneath? And this actually ties into something that I think you want to talk about. Great. Well, yeah, great. Right. Super. Oh, I think I, know, I think I know what you think you know. You know. Okay. Do you want to do you want to say what you think you know that I think I know that you think I know? I think you're talking about a movie that I did see this past week that I told you that I saw, and you know, it's those manipulative uh, thrillers. Yes. Okay. Are you with us, audience? Still? (laughs) Okay. So, what lies beneath? I think is a pretty bad movie. I think the script is pretty bad, but there is some great filmmaking in it. Yeah, well, that's the thing is when, it, I guess he was still A-list at that point, a uh, filmmaker decides to do a genre movie. Yeah. Um, and this is what you get. And he really wanted to experiment with visual tension and camera movement. I almost see like the script doesn't really matter. The story doesn't really matter. It's just an exercise in creating cinematic tension. I just hated it, though. I don't like it either, but I feel like there's some great, there are some great cinematic moments in it and sequences, which relates to another director we may talk about later. Okay, but we're going to skip because I'm now I'm now I'm full focus. We're going to go through this <laughs> list, okay? Because I'm curious because I don't we don't really talk about Zemeckis, though we were joking about him because of the um, the I'm Charlie thinking, Kaufman movie. Yeah, exactly. That, I'm thinking yeah. of ending things. Uh, so 2000. Here's a film I really do like. Yes, me too. Castaway. Yes, I thought Tom Hanks was fabulous in it. And I liked that it did some things that a normal movie wouldn't, that, you know, there's hardly any dialogue for a good chunk of it. And during that entire time when he's on the island, there's no music. Again, you know, Zemeckis was doing a little bit of an experiment there with some of those things. Yes. For me, the first time I saw this movie, I really did not like the ending. I did. It's sappy, but I enjoyed it. I'm not talking about the very end. I'm talking about the transition when he meet when he meets back up with Helen Hunt? Well, basically from when he sees the tanker and then it cuts and it's like a few weeks later. I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't now, but the first time I saw the movie, I had a problem with it. And because I felt like I was robbed of something. Well, you know. But then I realized that like actually what I was robbed of was the expected thing. And it would have been easy to show us that. And so not showing the thing that we already kind of know what happens, you know, him looking at himself in the mirror for the first time, say. Right. We kind of know all that stuff. And 
Yeah, the the part with Helen Hunt just I uh, at when he gets meets up with her again, it just didn't totally uh, work for me emotionally as much as I wanted it to. Okay, so now we're going to enter this interesting three movie phase yes. where he decides to go motion capture crazy. <laughs> yes. All right. So the first is the Polar Express, and I don't really spend too much time on the Polar Express other than that, like everybody knows the creepy dead eyes, the the technology just hadn't come fully yeah. around and in the animation of the people is a little awkward however i am going to tell you this i first was like when i saw the trailer for this thing i was like there's no way i will ever <laughs> see this but i did hear that it was pretty amazing in imax 3d and that was at a time oh, when imax right. was just first really starting yeah. to show movies and their 3d was supposed to be way better than anybody else's and the experience in imax 3d is so phenomenal the sound and I bet. yeah the depth and the way he like you know so it's really a film that was designed to be a 3d experience well it feels like it was designed to be a theme park ride well it is that's the fun part so like from a fun theme park type feeling but for me and it's not just the animation and the eyes i feel like the movie itself lacks any soul or heart i know we've had this discussion and yeah. i don't i don't necessarily agree with you but i will tell you that a friend of mine that i worked with at the time i yeah. was like i came back that after that weekend and i think i saw it on thanksgiving weekend uh in 2004 i come back and I tell my friend all about it and yeah. he's all excited and he goes and sees it and he comes back and he has this look of anger in his face. And I'm like, what? He didn't like it? And for him, the and this is where I think the no soul part comes in. Yeah. When Arrowsmith doubles as elves at the end, he was yeah. so outraged. He felt like this was just like this commercial exercise and that just that was the kind of bullshit that he just felt ruined the whole movie and i think that really encapsulates what people like you are talking about when you don't like it it feels like a commercial exercise it feels like it commercializes christmas it's not about goodwill it's about gifts but it's it's a very materialistic movie not for that one kid. I don't know. Look, it. we're not going to hear. We're not going to dissect I, an hour of Robert Zedekas' movie, so we're moving uh, quickly. <laughs> Unless you have one more thing you want to say. I just want to say I hate Polar Express. Now we can move I on. I know you do, but see, you've already told me you hate Polar Express, but I never really <laughs> talked about why I liked it. Um, okay. But I don't, and I don't sit there and watch it every Christmas. So, But I would definitely, I, I think if I saw it in IMAX 3D, yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool experience. Now, speaking of that, <laughs> here's a movie <laughs> no one talks about today, but nobody talks. No, this I will movie tell like, you. I saw this because of the Polar Express. I also saw 2007's Beowulf. I saw that in IMAX 3D, and the, it, it was even better as far as an experience in wow. 3D. Wow, okay. But I've never had a desire to see it a second time. I saw it once, and you know, I barely remember it. Barely remember it, exactly. Yeah, I, it really left almost no impression on me. But then, here's where it really all starts crumbling. I hate hated 2009's Christmas Carol. Well, and okay, just Jim Carrey. Just to get in here for a second, you are a Scrooge aficionado. It's true and there's a lot of versions, but I get very nervous about these versions. Not all of them are very good. But but you've you've seen a lot of the Scrooge movies. I've not seen everyone's, but I've seen I've seen my share. Yeah. You've seen more than I have. Yes. Yeah, I think we talked about it in a holiday episode like two years ago. We're just refreshing because, you know, some of our audience <laughs> members, I'm actually thinking we should just recycle some of those. I'm going to remaster some of the old ones and put them back out for those who haven't heard them because they'll sound better because I have better skills now. So I never saw the the Christmas Carol movie. It's horrible. Yeah. Yep. So I don't like that. But how, it was, it's Jim Carrey motion captured. Yeah. 
Okay, that just does Oof. not. It just there's so much that they could have done with it, and I didn't like what they did with it. Yeah, I don't want to see it. Now, 2012, I have to admit, I didn't hate this movie. It's not my favorite, but it's good. some good filmmaking in it is Flight. Yes, and I love Denzel, as you he's know. He's great in it. And he's great in it. And, you know, I almost, like, I'll watch Denzel in just about anything, even like his sort of cheesy action movies. Uh, like the Equalizer. Yeah, we we all have those. Like he's like he's kind of like our Clint Eastwood. Like uh, of like they like yeah. there's just an actor that he does get me to see the the films he makes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But and and he's great in Fight. It's a great performance. And he was nominated too. And he was nominated. And there's some good filmmaking. I feel like the film is a little bloated. Like it could have used a, a little tightening. Yeah, and again, I don't I don't really remember much of it. I saw it uh, when it first was on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah. Now the next one, I don't know. M- m- many people didn't see it. Actually, bombed. I did not see it. I loved the documentary that it was based on. Yeah. Uh, this is the walk about the guy who walked over the twin towers on a tightrope between the twin towers. Yeah. And I have to say, it was kind of an enjoyable movie, but the last part of it, the special effects are so unbelievable uh-huh. in this movie. But it does. I can see why people were turned off, especially if they saw it in IMAX 3D, which is what really right. was the cool thing. I didn't see it in. The, I saw it. Uh, in the you know on home is it makes you dizzy oh. it feels so real and i have right. this thing where i'm not gonna say i have vertigo but it, when you are on a top of like a tall building and you look down i i get a little freaked out oh i do you feel like you're on this freaking tightrope <laughs> yeah. with this guy yeah okay that makes me not want to watch the movie yeah but it's a good i thought it was a good movie now i didn't see he's only had a couple other films before we dig into the witches yeah. there but i didn't see allied I did not either, and I did not hear good things about it. That's probably why I skipped it. Yeah. But here's something we didn't talk about. Yeah. I did see Welcome to Marwin. Oh, you did? Okay. Now, uh, uh, did you see the documentary? Well, okay. So, I, I can't believe we, this was just one of those things where because we, I, you hadn't seen it, and we never talked about it. Yeah. On Criterion, they had the documentary about- Marwin Call. Marwin Call. Yeah, I've seen it. You've seen the documentary? Yes. And I was so fascinated. Yes. I loved it. And they had it on, and I was like, oh, that's a, that's what they based uh, that movie Welcome to Marwin on. Yeah. And so it just so happened that maybe about a month after it was on Criterion, Welcome to Marwin came on, I don't know, HBO or right, whatever. Right, something. So I, I made sure I DVR'd it and watched it. <laughs> It's abysmal. Yeah, Steve Carroll, right? Yeah, he plays that guy, but it's a Hollywood version of that guy. Oh, my God. They take away the most interesting kind of aspects of that story. Right. And then they make up stuff. And the problem for me is, again, he gets into that technical razzle-dazzle where he makes those he makes the characters come to life that the guy's photographing. Well, in a fantasy sequence. Oh, okay. He tries to bring to life the guy's fantasies so you can make the relationship of what what he envisions and it's such a miscalculation yeah that just sounds awful it's horrible and it's barely it's barely watchable i i actually watched the whole thing only because i thought maybe we would talk about it because <laughs> i wanted to say how how this was literally one of the worst films of 2018 yeah i uh after watching you know i saw the documentary years ago i don't know when it came out exactly but when this movie came out i just i, I have no interest in watching a hollywood version of a documentary yeah so that was why would you remake a documentary as a narrative film that just seems insane to me and dumb again i i think hollywood they get excited about these stories. They're unique. Yeah. And then they're like, but we got to find a way to fuck them up. 
<laughs> and, and then they do. I mean, I was watching a movie the other day. Oh, yeah? Which one was that? <laughs> is this how we're going to segue out of Robert's necklace? <laughs> well, the, the next movie on the list is The Witches. We already talked about that. Yeah, so we're, exactly. We're, like, That's, we're in full circle. Yeah, so we're, we're done with Zemeckis. You know, he's got that Pinocchio movie coming up. but And, he, you know, they almost, he, he wanted to do, and finally it was going to be too expensive and the studio scrapped it. He was going to do a whole new version of Yellow Submarine. Oh, my God. But the studios finally said, I think they said the same thing. You know, imagine <laughs> Teal sitting there at the desk and they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, 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 no. How much does he want for Yellow Submarine? Kids aren't going to watch that today. They don't know who the Beatles are. X. <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. So what were you watching? Oh, so I was watching uh, this Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Just for, no, you know, throw him out. Yeah. You know what's funny? We were going to talk about him uh, months ago. Yeah, and we, we just didn't get to it for some reason. Oh, that might have been it. I think that might have been it. <laughs> or it might have been early. I can't even remember. You know, look at this pandemic. It's such a blur. <laughs> so I was watching this movie, Alps, and in a way, it's very high concept, right? Like yeah. you you can sum this movie up in a sentence or two. It, it doesn't sum it up, but it, you, you, the premise is that there's people who hire themselves out to people who've lost a loved one they hire themselves out to impersonate the loved one to help with the grieving process yes that's basically the concept of the movie and so while i'm watching it i'm thinking <laughs> you think we should do that we should start a franchise no what, what no i kept thinking what would hollywood do with this concept oh what would this movie because it, it, it's, it's high concept enough that you could do a remake yeah okay right Oh, it would be terrible. I mean, it would be like a rom-com. <laughs> it would be disastrous. And part of the reason is, is that the way the story is told in this movie is it just sort of slowly opens itself up. You have to figure out what's going on. It doesn't just say, oh, we're going to tell you that they're doing this. Yeah. Like what I just told you yeah. is, is more than, you know, in the first half hour of the movie. Again, that's why I like that. The movie is so mysterious. Yes. That I'm not a hundred percent sure what's happening. Yeah. There was like one relationship in the movie that I, I couldn't tell whether it was a real relationship or one of the fake ones. And it took me a little while to figure that out. But I kept thinking, okay, yeah, how Hollywood would announce the concept right at the beginning. And then it would overplay all the emotions. Whereas what this movie does is actually some of these conversations are a lot of them actually are really stiff and awkward. Yes. <laughs> like they're reading from and they are actually reading from a script they've memorized. And that's the best part is it takes you a while to figure out what he's doing. It's a layered movie. It's a layered movie and you have to put a little work in to tease out what it's about. But at the same time, it's not. It's not a paint dry movie. It's really involving. Oh, we when we saw, you know, now it's been months, and there was something I don't remember what it was, but my wife and I had a running joke from the movie for a long time, and I think it had to do with the uh, the floor dance. Yes, <laughs> and the names that he called again. I don't want to give that away. From it, I love that movie. I, I got to be honest. Yeah, the the rhythm gymnastics thing is. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was looking. Part of the, the reaction I've had watching his films is just like that is so creative. He's a really original guy. 
it's really original and he's doing things that yeah that are just they're incredibly creative and and in small ways too like how did he even think up to have the actor have that reaction in that moment right like there are things that are so surprising almost on a scene-to-scene basis we know it's so interesting is my journey with your ghost is i saw the lobster first Okay. And then I saw The Favorite, and then I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer, then I saw Alps and Dogtooth last. Okay. Which is almost a completely reverse of his chronology. But then I went, after watching Alps and Dogtooth, yeah. I rewatched The Favorite. Oh. And when you rewatch The Favorite, having seen all his movies, yeah. I laughed at stuff in The Favorite that I just didn't think was funny the first time. Oh, interesting. I thought that movie was so great in a way that I didn't even think was great the first time I saw it, because once you're really in tune to the things he does. Right. Yeah. It, it strikes you in a different way. Yeah. So I suggest that at some point you might want to go back to the favorite. Actually, after watching Alps, I, I haven't seen The Lobster yet. Right. Confession. You got to see The Lobster. Um, but after watching Alps, I was like. I got to watch The Favorite again, and I got to have my wife watch it. So, because I loved The Favorite when I, and, and so I started with Killing of Sacred Deer. I didn't even know who this guy was. Right. I just blind watched this movie on Netflix or something, or where as some streaming service had it at one point. And I just blind watched it. And I was like, what is this? This is really strange. What's this? This director is using all these wide angle lenses and it's this surreal, creepy. And, and I knew nothing about it. So I I didn't. Yeah. And then I saw the favorite and then I've gone back. But and you've seen Dogtooth, right? Yes. Um, well, so what are your so you liked? I, I take it you liked Alps then. Yes, I did like Alps. I mean, I could nitpick a little bit, but it's totally worthless to do because it's okay. Uh, this is not a show where you have to nitpick. We're not. We're not here. We're not the nitpicking show. We're just talking about. You know. Okay, I am going to bring up my nitpick though because I think it <laughs> um, <laughs> got me snorking again. No, but because I think it's an interesting question in terms of all his films, which is there is uh, a necessary suspension of disbelief. They do seem to operate in an alternate universe to a degree. Exactly. And there are certain things where, you know, I just started to ask questions like, how does that, how is this working actually? And then, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like there may be a little logic hole somewhere or a little way where it doesn't quite add up and it doesn't really matter. Well, I think that also there's something that you and I, it's lost on us. He is a Greek filmmaker. Yes. And there's something about the culture that we're not aware of. He's part of this Greek new wave. And there's also a subtext of Greek mythology and that he is weaving into these movies that is a little bit lost on me. But yes, if you understand that. So he's working on some levels that I just uh, I enjoy them for the stuff I get. But I also recognize that there's themes that I'm not as aware of. I think that's true. Well, he talks about that with with, with both Dogtooth and uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. And I think even in Alps, there's some stuff. There, there was one scene in Alps where the main character goes swimming in the ocean. Yep. Just a quick little scene. It's one of the few sort of wide shots you get of like a town and and sort of what Greece looks so different in a Hollywood movie than it does in a Greek movie. Right. Well, that's the high tourist, low tourist. (laughs) And that's exactly it. And so the low tourism I appreciated in in Alps. I also thought he nailed the ending in Alps. 
Well, I like the ending in Dogtooth too. I like that the ending kind of is like, you know, it's almost, I don't want to say a new adventure, but it's like, hmm, what's going to happen there? Yeah, okay, so Dogtooth. Now remember, this is a movie that I... I, I only saw in the past year, and I think it was. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic, and and it's one of Carrie's. If you remember Carrie Chalmers, one of her favorite movies as well. I thought this was a film that you should see in the context, having liked the movie Parasite. I thought about Parasite multiple times during this movie. Yes, not because there's the stories are the same. It's it's about something. It's similar thematically, and the house's character. The house's character, but also it, it's this kind of family that is really interdependent and is about the relationships within the family. And also that there's there's in in dog tooth there's these outsiders are brought in to the situation yes the outsiders are brought in and that creates its own set of problems and uh so i how do i say this i don't think he nailed the ending um i didn't hate it but it didn't it didn't hit me as hard as i wanted it to now here's here's why this is a problem for me okay I love this movie. <laughs> I absolutely adored this. Uh, this you is one of the surprises I mean, but I thought <laughs> I picked out these films that I'm like, oh, I think Teal needs to say this. Yeah, no, and this, okay, so one, it clicks some boxes for me, this movie, you know, my pet things. One is that it's a bottle movie. In, in many ways, yes. It's essentially. We do go to his work. We go to his work, but for the rest of the characters, it might as well be, you know, exterminating angels. What I what I thought was fascinating, it shows you kind of how people can be brainwashed. There's a reason why they can't leave because right. he has put this fear into them. So that's my my second box that it checks is uh, is cults. And this is a cult that's just a family. And the cult leader is the dad. And there's nobody else in the cult. And so, uh, I just thought that was absolutely, uh, it, it, so th that just pulled me in. And the idea, I think on the last episode or two episodes ago, I talked about a movie called One Bedroom. Yes, yes. But that has a cult aspect to it as well. And it has a cult aspect. And my frustration with it, it was that it was physical torture, not mental torture. And this is mental torture. And this is mental. And it made it so much smarter and so much more nuanced and there's so much to sort of discover about these characters and again he does that same thing where he doesn't quite give you the concept right at the beginning you kind of have to ease your way into what's going on in this movie and how cut off from the world they really are well this father i mean what a creepy monster this guy is huh well and he gets he gets creepier and creepier as the movie goes. well everything yeah. in the i mean the movie starts off it's as when it starts off it's as normal as this situation could be yeah this completely abnormal situation, but it's it's in like a state of equilibrium at the well, beginning. He does the same thing, though. Um, this is your ghost, as, as yeah. he did in Alps. Is yes. You have to slowly get into the layers to understand the depths of what's going on in this story. And then the characters start doing really strange things, but they're not out of character at all. This is what's amazing. And, you know, like the woman in Alps, when she breaks down at the end. Well, you know that the daughter in Dogtooth is in Alps, right? Yes, yes. But the way it breaks down in terms of uh, she breaks down, like it, it's so bizarre, but the emotional underpinnings make sense. There's an emotional logic to every character, even though they do really strange things like in Dogtooth, like the whole licking thing in Dogtooth. Yep. 
<laughs> there's this whole economy of licking. Like, will you give me that pencil if I lick your ear? <laughs> and it's so strange, but it kind of makes sense given the world that he's created. So within this context of this little sort of alternate reality that the family has built for themselves, the things they do end up making sense. Well, okay. So I want to stop you there for a second. Yeah. This is what I thought when I saw the movie, which I think I saw, I feel like I saw it about sometime in the past year, close yeah. to almost a year ago, but not quite, is that the idea of what is somebody's truth mm -hmm. is that what you, you know, for them, all these things they learned about saying one thing that means a different thing. Well, yeah, the parents give them the wrong definitions for words. Yeah. And so they accept things as truth. And I thought a lot about what we've gone through in the past four years with Trump. Yeah. That they, when we talk about these alternate truths, right? Yeah. The, the alternate reality that they feed people. And their their message is that. It doesn't matter what the real truth is or like science is that you can live by what we tell you is real. Yeah. And then you can go along your life accepting that reality and they're making it. And you know, will act accordingly. Yeah, the alternate set of facts. So yeah. when that the alternate set of facts, I thought really resonated with this movie Dogtooth and how yeah. it really warped these behaviors. And so I think on just probably about a thousand different levels, I think this Dogtooth movie is so brilliant. Even if the very end of the movie doesn't say stick the landing, I think of it a lot of the ways as how Parasite, the ending to me wasn't as great as the rest of the movie. However, right. I accepted it and I, and I said, well, this is okay ending and the rest of the movie is so great. I don't think it's a terrible ending. It just... Well, I like is that you don't, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen to her, right? I mean, she doesn't leave, well, she's in the trunk, right, at the end, and she doesn't the, get the, out the of the trunk. The last shot right? of the movie is just the trunk of the car for like two minutes. Yeah, right. So the questions now is like, <laughs> will she get out of the trunk or will she die in the oh, trunk? I, I know, <laughs> we don't but, know. But like the ending of the favorite, like the last shot of the favorite to me is so visionary and goes it elevates it into this really strange and interesting place and and the last scene in alps did the same thing where it like and it, it just didn't it just didn't nail it for me but it, it there's nothing wrong with it it's a fine ending I mean, it's, it just didn't it, it just wasn't as amazing as i wanted it to be considering how amazing the rest of the movie because this is really one of the best movies i've seen in a year I think. here's the good news is is this yorgos lanthimos has become one of my favorite new directors yes absolutely he had to stop filming the film he was working on because of covid and i think he, oh, they're okay. restarting that um but he's the guy that when his next movie comes out i'm there me too absolutely this guy is easily one of my favorite new directors i think yeah to go back just quickly one thing i want to say is just his storytelling is really interesting like he's he's great as a filmmaker and he's great at, with actors and stuff too like all that stuff is cool but his story i, I want to just point out that as a writer he's doing really interesting things too he was nominated for his first oscar for best screenplay yes for the lobster Yes. You have to see this lobster movie. I have to. Oh, I really want to see it. I mean. You're going to love it. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to give away anything away. I almost started watching it as soon as Alps was done. Once you've seen the, that film, then you'll you'll be caught up with me. Yeah. And then you have to just start putting it into the chronology. And what you'll see is, well, this is what the great filmmakers are. Is they, they, it doesn't matter which movie you like the most or least, is that they keep building 
on things. This guy is no hack. He is uh, he is continually developing his cinematic language, his dialogue. Every I, I love his dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what the favorite was. Second time, see this is the favorite a second time around, and you really appreciate what this guy's done. And uh, does he speak English? Yeah. Okay, so I remember you having this complaint about the killing of a sacred deer and some of the accents not being quite right. Oh well, yeah, but that's because you are dealing with um, you're dealing yes. with Colin Farrell <laughs> and you're dealing with uh, uh, Nicole Kidman, who I never thought did a good American accent. She doesn't really, but also isn't isn't the kid Irish? The kid is also yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he does speak English, and so he's writing in English too. He's okay. That's I, well, that I don't know. I don't. You know, these are things where I'd have to do a little deeper dive on his process. Okay. Well, let's let's do that, and I'll watch the lobster, and we'll talk about it on a future. We're well, definitely show because, gonna have to talk about the lobster. Okay. So <laughs> I gotta tell you this too. Okay. Is uh, I, I watched Dogtooth and Alps, and I managed to tell my kids about Dogtooth. Oh, yeah. They can't watch that. Well, no. Okay. No. It's a great movie to talk about, no, I guess. But no, dude, no, no. Like, but, but I was actually able to describe the movie and leave out all the horrifying <laughs> yeah. or uh, deeply disturbing or he does a lot of weird sex stuff in all his movies. Especially in this movie. And I don't want to get into it, but the thing is, is this is where there's um, a whole Greek mythology thing going on. Okay. And so it, it's very disturbing. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the things that go on and, and multiple levels because it's done in not a disturbing way, if that makes sense. It's done in a very matter of fact way. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it more disturbing because the people that are engaging in those activities have no idea how wrong it is. Exactly. Except for the daughter. That's another thing. She's starting to have a breakthrough. She's starting to realize that well, things are not- Well, because she sees those movies. Right. She gets information from the outside world. Oh, right. What was the movie she gets to watch? They they never show the movie and they don't show you the titles, but I figured out it's Rocky and Flashdance. She quotes some lines from Rocky and then she does this crazy Flashdance dance number. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just so, yeah. That's another thing that also reminded me. There's that documentary about the kids that live in the Brooklyn uh, apartment and they were locked away by their parents and mm. all. All they had was movies like uh, Tarantino films and other things. And yeah. so they backed out these movies because they had no idea what the outside world really was. Well, these kids don't even seem to really know that there's like other people in the world. Well, that's the best part is that's where their whole backyard, which reminded me of the backyard in Parasite. Me too. Totally. Yeah. And they thought bad things are going to happen to them if they get over the backyard, right? Yes. Well, they're told there's there's vicious cats out there. That's right, because there's a cat gets in, right? <laughs> the cat gets in, and they're like, oh, the cat. If you go out there, the cat with its vicious claws and sharp teeth will devour you and kill you. Oh, it's such a good movie. It's so good. And then, like, the thing with the airplanes falling out of the sky. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's an example of just, like, to me, this guy's brilliance as a as a writer is is those are those little details that are just so strange and original and creative that, yeah, so I just want to give this guy his due as a writer, too. He's, he's a not just as a filmmaker. Again, I'm trying never to steer you wrong. When I tell you you really should see something, I usually, uh, I, you know, I think you're going to like it. <laughs> okay, so that said, I tried watching Kaneta, and maybe I'll try again. That reminds me is that I was all jazzed because they put these films on Criterion. Now, when you watched Alps and Dogtooth, were they still on Criterion? No. <sighs> yeah, see, I missed it. And so I know Kaneta was on there. And Kaneta is still on there. 
okay, I might try that, but uh, I know it's his first and it may not be good, but I, I, I'm a completionist, right? So. I just watched like 10 minutes of it and it was late and I was just like, it. <laughs> you know, go for the lobster because he, the good news is, right, that we now have enough films under his uh, resume yes. for us to get a good sense of what he is as a director. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I would feel like you have to have at least four or five. <laughs> so, you know how people are sort of recalcitrant to watch foreign films sometimes because they're like pretentious and drawn out and which which aka means they just don't feel like reading subtitles that's part of it right but but it's sort of this you know like the cliche of a foreign film being all artsy and stuff right so i was a little afraid going into i tried watching canetta first because i was going to go in order right and canetta the first 10 15 minutes to me was like every bad uh cliche about an art film hmm and I was like, I can't bear this. And then I was afraid that going into Dogtooth, it was going to be like that. And it wasn't at all. So anyhow, that, that's one of the best movies I've seen in a year. That said, I recommend this to people that are uh, okay with watching an R-rated movie. Yeah, but it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote you. But you got to know what you're getting into. <laughs> you, you do. You got, I mean, like you, you knew that I could handle this movie, but yes. I would not. Uh, yeah, uh, you got to know what you're getting into. And in this case, it's going to be some weird sex stuff. And a little. Oh, and this is another thing I like about this guy, Yorgos, is I love how he does violence. Mm -hmm. He does it in a really interesting way that's not over dramatized, that's sudden and. And and quick. It's over quickly. It's not like he's drawn out. The dad in Dogtooth, there's two scenes where he hits somebody. Right. And it's just done in this. And it's incredibly disturbing because it's not over dramatized. And it just feels like the dad is so matter of fact in the way he does this. Anyhow, I like the way he does violence. There was one scene. I like the way he does violence. Well, you know, because it's it doesn't feel exploitative. Right. It doesn't feel like he's trying to. Well, it's part of the story. It's not there to just to sensationalize. No, it doesn't feel sensationalized. Exactly. It doesn't feel like it's trying to get a visceral reaction from us as much as an emotional reaction. And so we find it more upsetting and disturbing than like gross. Maybe an exception with killing of a sacred deer. But <laughs> aside from that, in this past, well, you know, well we've been off a little bit because uh, we didn't tape uh, right before the elections. Our first yeah. episode that we're taping post-election. Um, is there anything else that you've seen that you wanted to chime in about? I'm going to talk about two movies really quickly. <laughs> okay, let me set my clock. <laughs> They're both bad. Oh, great. And uh, this was just uh, my late night. So, uh, sometimes, like, I have a snack before I go to bed. So, I I'll, watch, I'll watch, like, 10, 15 minutes of a movie, and then I'll, like, take a week to watch it or something. That's me all over, man. Okay. This was just me clicking on things on Netflix. Uh, this movie is called Selfless from 2015. Selfless. Okay. It's self slash less all right american foreign it's american it stars ryan reynolds and ben kingsley okay i'm trying to think of i'm trying to <laughs> mentally place it it's about a uh rich guy uh ben ben kingsley who's about to die and uh this company says we can transfer your mind into a new body oh okay we grow these bodies in a lab and we can put you in there all right. And so they put him into Ryan Reynolds' body, at which point 
<laughs> Ben Kingsley's really uh, strange and interesting performance <laughs> turns into just Ryan Reynolds. Like, they made no effort to have Ryan Reynolds act like Ben Kingsley. Oh, it's directed by that old uh, Tarsum Singh. Okay, well, that was my whole point. Is oh. I'm watching this movie, and I, you know, I wasn't really paying attention during the credits. I'm watching this movie, and I'm going, "This movie has no style. It's flat. It's boring." Which is weird because that's what the guy was known for. And then I look it up, and it's Tarsim Singh, and I'm like, "What are you kidding me? He this did is the, the guy all the cell." And- yes, this guy, and he's a commercial director, and he's known for his incredible visuals, and uh, he's known for being a, a poor storyteller, but an, but incredible at doing. Visuals. Visuals. And this movie, uh, I mean, it, it looked like basically it could have been a TV movie. I mean, it, it's, it, it looks like any other feature, any other Hollywood feature. But did it even come out in theaters? Yes, it did. The only reason I watched it is because I thought, nah, it's, it's, it's a sci-fi concept. It's kind of fun. And well, you I'm, never know what, what, what might end up being a gem, right? You'll always... Exactly. And I mean, the movie is... It's not like unbearably awful. It's just incredibly average and mediocre. Yeah, that's sometimes the worst is incredibly average. It's incredibly average. And and I, I sort of been thinking about some of these Netflix. They're not Netflix movies. There's movie. They're movies that I watch on Netflix. But so many of them feel like they have no vision behind the visuals. And they have pretty standard Hollywood script, but there's no, like, there's not a good shot in the movie. It feels like you gave somebody a book on how to direct a movie and they just followed the instructions. We're like, okay, let's do coverage of this and let's get a close up here and medium shot here. And that, you know, you have your, it like might as well be directed by an algorithm. So another movie. (laughs) Yes. I'm done with selfless. Great. Okay. The next movie I'm going to talk about. Uh, also available on Netflix. This movie I kept watching largely because it was so bad. Sometimes that happens. So this movie is called American Assassin from 2017, starring Dylan O'Brien from uh, <laughs> from the Maze Runner movies. Okay. And Michael Keaton. Oh, I feel like I did hear about this because Michael, was he the handler, Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton is like the CIA handler for for this kid who's the assassin. And, you know, Michael Keaton is good in the movie because he's Michael Keaton. Keaton, Because he's Michael Keaton. He has this brief role in uh, the trial of the Chicago 7 and, and he's great in it. Yeah. And he's actually in this movie quite a bit. But so is Taylor Kitsch. Yep. Not good. (laughs) <laughs> okay, okay, so and I don't even know who Michael Cuesta. I don't know who that is who directed this Michael movie, but Cuesta. No, it, it's terribly. But okay, so the, the problem with this movie, aside from the bad script and the horrible direction, was the writing, acting, and cinematography. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, everything is bad except for Michael Keaton. But this mm. Dylan O'Brien guy, mm. I haven't seen those Maze Runner movies. I don't really know. Maybe he's a fine actor. He is horribly miscast in this movie. He is just terrible, unbelievable, and and it's the silliest movie ever. I, I got to just tell you that the opening uh, setup here is uh, he's on vacation with his wife. Maybe it's their honeymoon. I don't know. They're in Mexico or some place, and a bunch of terrorists show up with guns and shoot everyone. And his wife dies, and so he spends the next two years uh, learning to speak Arabic and 
radicalizing himself online so that he can join the terrorist to infiltrate them he can infiltrate them and kill their leader which he does he infiltrates them and 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 so what i've just told you that's the first five minutes of the movie oh it's done in montage literally that's the first five minutes and then you know of course he screws up some cia operation and they're like what do we do with this guy he's just some random lunatic who decided to infiltrate the terrorists guess he should join the cia <sighs> so i'm glad that we've spent the, the end of the program talking about two <laughs> shitbag movies well uh, but the reason i bring them up is I, i'm not recommending them i'm, I'm using them as examples of really bland mediocrity with no vision, no creativity, no no real passion for anything. Uh, they're, they're just flat. And I'm just bringing that up in contrast to somebody like Yorgos Lanthimos, right? Who is really giving us a vision and a voice and passionately communicating and so i i just i bring the, i'm bringing these two movies up to say i don't want to watch any more movies like that i want to watch i know i don't know why you keep doing that to yourself well i already said because it's late at night and i got 15 minutes before i go to bed but you, could, you could put in a halfway decent genre movie this is the thing is we're now in this thing where i find myself searching to try to find movies that i have never seen yes or not in many many years and, and and just to try to get my interest going because you know it's a weird time and that's why i found that uh, all those horror movies was so in, enjoyable because i had not seen a bunch of them yeah but this is how i feel about like uh, yorgos lanthimos and joel petroikis whose fil next film i'll run out and see you know they're, they're interesting people with a voice um so just as the ending of the program i uh, on your theme because yeah. i think this is really where we're getting at with you know, trying to dig into the streaming. Yes. Because I really, really liked that film from Australia, Long Weekend. Right. Which I really think in the next few weeks before it goes off Criterion Channel, you got to check that out. Okay. I don't know why this popped up in my Amazon Prime feed, but there was a documentary about Ozploitation movies. Oh, right. And it's called Not Quite Hollywood. It's from 2008. And I decided, I don't know, you know, it was one of those things where you said late night, I got to put on something for 15, 20 minutes and I got absorbed in this. And it was so fascinating because I didn't really understand that before, prior to 1970, Australia had no film industry. Oh, I didn't really know that, huh? They were, think about all the films that we know and the filmmakers we know yeah, from Australia. Yeah, Bruce Beresford, Peter Weir, they all came out in the 70s. Yeah, P, uh, Fred Shapizzi. Yeah. That's because when they talk about the Australian new wave of filmmakers, that was because that was it. There was no industry. They imported all the movies. Okay. Um, and there was a heavy, heavy censorship that went on. Oh, interesting. The film board was run by like a, an extremist Nazi who, 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 you know, everything was, you know, off limits and taboo and movies were cut severely that entered Australia. But that ended like in 1970. Okay. And then you had things like the Vietnam War, which a lot of American servicemen spent their- um, Their time in- their, In time in Australia. So like uh, my uncle, when he was in Vietnam, when they had to send him for some R&R, &R, he would go to Australia. That's where they oh. sent you. Um, it was pretty close. In, you know, right, right, yeah. So, uh, so there was a lot of influence, and the, basically the sexual revolution happened in the 70s. Uh, but at the same time, 
Australia suddenly wanted to get into making movies for Australians. And so the government, you know, had a film board where they backed and granted. Right, right, right. So that thus started the industry. Okay. But as part of that is the popularity drive-ins were huge in Australia. So like in America, they wanted to have genre movies. And so while they had those people making like those art films, which in this movie uh, documentary, the the genre filmmakers kind of make fun of those movies. Like they think Picnic at Hanging Rock is this ridiculous, pretentious (laughs) movie. Uh, They make make fun of it many times. (laughs) They put out all of these films that were, you know, like the subculture of stuff that went on in Australia. And a lot of it was commentary about things that we wouldn't understand because we don't right, understand right. the culture. Right, right. It was about, yeah, yeah, 70s Australian culture is not something I know. I don't know what was going on politically in the 70s in Australia. But I think I understand now the term that I use, Australian comedies, a lot more, The why that the Australian comedies are really kind of weird and not funny and sometimes depressing because it's funny to Australians. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's like they broke it into segments of like sort of horror, exploitation. Right. Biker gang exploitation, okay. uh, softcore porn exploitation. Okay, and then Tarantino is on several times, interviewed, and he loves a whole bunch of these movies okay. naturally because he loves genre movies. But he talks about Long Weekend and how he thinks it's one of the best movies ever. Okay, I'm definitely watching it. And so I was like, all right. And I was like, I was on to something. But so then <laughs> some of these movies, I was like, I wonder if they're available because <laughs> right. there was one that they showed in the horror that looked so hilarious. And I loved the title so much. And lo and behold, Amazon Prime had it on there. So I watched it. All right, you ready for this? This came okay. out in 87. Howling 3, The Marsupials. <laughs> <laughs> howling three the marsupials (laughs) oh man and it's available on amazon i watched the whole thing it's hilarious Uh, oh man (laughs) and what got me from the things they showed in the clips from this documentary was there was a baby that's being born to like a you know like the the girl she she escapes to melbourne or whatever right uh, out of the cult of wolves and uh she meets this guy on a on a movie set. Don't ask me how these things like you just gotta go with this movie. I'm going. And, and they they have sex and then she gets pregnant, but you know, uh, things move really fast in the marsupial world. And so <laughs> she she has this little baby and what they did was they got like a rubber costume uh-huh. of this little, little tiny little baby, like part man, part uh, marsupial, and uh-huh. they put it it was like a costume that they put into a mouse. <laughs> so the mouse was wriggling around in this rubber suit. <laughs> so great. It is so great. And, and uh, you know, a little of this movie goes a long way, but I still watch the whole thing. And uh, it, 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 it's like you root for the marsupials the whole time in this film. Okay. And they took that. They took, they take it pretty seriously. Like the production values aren't terrible for this type of film. Interesting. Okay, this for some reason made me think of an Australian horror movie that I watched in high school and loved. What was it called? Razorback. Oh, they talk about Razorback in the in the documentary. Of course. Have you seen it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was a big. Yeah. That was um, Russell Mulcahy. 
Yes. Yep. 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 He's, they, they they feature him, and also uh, you get to see was it uh, is it Dean Semler the cinematographer? Yes. Yeah. He he's interviewed, and okay. I mean you got it, it's a really entertaining documentary in the first place. Where's it available? Uh, on Prime. Oh, it's on Prime. Yeah, okay. not quite Hollywood. Okay. That sounds really fun. I think you should watch it, but I mean, uh, Howling 3, The Marsupials. <laughs> like, I just, that just title got me. Uh, it was a PG-13 affair, and I was a big movie snob back in those days. I loved The Howling as a kid, and I saw it at the drive-in. And then they made a Howling 2, yes. and then, of course, a Howling 3, The Marsupials. <laughs> uh, but they never came out in theaters in America, right? I don't know what the, I don't know anything about The Howling 2, but it was a direct to video okay and i was a snob who would not see sequels that were direct to video yeah remember those days i do i do, <laughs> I do. I do too yeah so i'm not a big proponent of movies that get sequels that can't get into theaters and they must be bad that's what that's how i kind of view it so howling three i didn't know was the marsupials <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that used to be Disney's whole thing was all their sequels were... Uh, Toy Story 2 started out, was going to be direct-to-video, and they were like, this is too good. Yeah. And so they decided to put a little bit more budget and make it... And, and I love Toy Story 2. Me too. I, I like it almost better than the first one. I do like it better than the first one. Yeah. I think the story's better. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love The Chicken Man. Yes. I love The Chicken Man, too. <laughs> I love The Chicken um, Man. And then I'm going to leave you with this, because this is another one I'm, I'm dying to talk about. We had a very long episode, the last episode, and I cut some stuff out. I cut out the entire little portion that I talked about the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched it yet. And you need to see this, because I'm yes, dying no, to I talk to. about it, because yes. everybody's talking about it, and I know that people would be interested in hearing us talk about it. Okay. Well, I will, uh, I'll get to it. And I just, it's my, it's my soul barometer. I want to know whether you have a soul or don't have a soul. <laughs> and so if you are like everybody else and love the Queen's Gambit, then you have a soul. If you don't, um, then you have no soul. It's possible I have no soul. Yeah. But it means hard to see the longer we go without you seeing it, you're going to be tainted by the fact that, well, I was expecting because everybody loves it and I didn't like it. But I think it I, I know people like it, but I've been ignoring what they say. So I don't really know what they like about it or why they like it. Or I think your daughter, I think I could get her into to, to playing chess. I think it's going to get a lot of kids into playing chess. I, uh, yeah, they like searching for Bobby Fisher, my right. kid. Right. You're going to This is like a seven-part Bobby Fisher with a Okay. With, and you know you always With women. Well, that's the thing is you're always complaining. Yes, that I am. There's nothing for your daughters to watch. I don't know about the little one, but you know, this is great for your thir almost 13-year-old. Yeah, she'll be 13 a month. It really is something that I would be shocked if she didn't like it. Okay. Well, check it out. I've been playing chess because of the movie. Oh, oh yeah, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. Not doing well at it, but you know, I mean I beat the easy levels of the computer. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do late at night when you're looking for a genre film to? Well, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I've been watching Howling 3, the marsupials. I'm, I'm not going to get tired of that because it's just <laughs> okay, the greatest so title ever. This is the thing. I Basically, I've been watching like stuff from the last decade, genre films. The thing is, I think something happened in the last decade with it where basically every movie looks exactly the same. I'm going to tell you, this is, again, it's my theory is, uh, like you said, with the algorithm, you know, first of all, each decade we get further and further in where genre movies have been done every which way to Sunday. Yeah. But when you had low budgets back 
in the day yes. and you had to shoot things on film and sometimes the film was uh, a lot of just as an education for people it was film stock that was called like seconds it was like the ends yeah. of ends of film rolls so you would get like a whole bunch of film to use but it's slightly different stocks and yes. it might be a little old it, so it just wasn't as crisp and fresh but you know you had to make the movie on it and that kind of led to some inventiveness well and there was no computers and so it was a lot of practical effects and yeah. some of it didn't always look good and everything but they may have sprinkled in these movies and this is what tarantino liked about them these like two or three awesome moments right that are just you talk about it with your friends these movies have nothing to talk about afterwards that's exactly it there's nothing they're so bland. I, I don't understand I, i'm trying to wrap my head around what happened like at the corporate level that made everything the same it's like let's just make mcdonald's hamburgers we're all gonna make them i think that's what's going on is it's world cinema so these movies can be packaged like never before around the world and right. they need something with a very basic plot that when you stick either dub it or that you know anybody can follow it anybody can yeah and okay you may be right so making them as bland as possible, it's again like the McDonald's hamburger, right? You're just trying to appeal to as many people as possible. So you file off all the rough edges and anything interesting or unique about it. Yeah. And plus, you know, I mean, like The Rock, he's a big marketable action guy. Yeah. But, you know, we don't have a ton of these marketable action people anymore. Like, what's the next up and comer? We don't have that person. Well, I'll tell you who it's not. Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, The Maze Runner was such a super smash success. Though my youngest loves the book series. Yeah, I, I think I saw the first Maze Runner movie. Those are not movies that I need to see. I, I, I When I say I think I saw it, it's because I can't remember if I did or not. One thing you were saying earlier about, like, the low-budget movies having to shoot on film and, st and sort of how you're forced to be creative on a low-budget. And I think you see that in some of those early De Palma movies. I want Criterion to do a whole De Palma thing so we can get to see, like, there's this weird movie that he made in between some films called Home Movies. Yeah. I, I, I want to see that. I did not see that. Then his first, like, four movies all had Robert De Niro in it. Yes. Like, I want to see those movies. I think I've seen one of them. I saw The Wedding Party. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of curious to see his beginnings. And now I'm just like obsessed with seeing all his films, even though the bulk of the ones I have seen, I don't think are necessarily successful, but he's just, he's got, you know, he's got some classics in there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, The Untouchables is a classic. Absolutely love it. So, so listen, here's, here's some, home, so, so I think we're building up our next show. Okay. Think, so here's the homework. Should, I think you should see Dressed to, to Kill. I'm, I, I've, I've seen it, but I'm going to no, watch know, it again. No, I know, but you have to rewatch it on Criterion. Yeah, I'm totally going to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some classics. Uh, what's your uh, feeling on Body Double? Have you rewatched that? I would like to rewatch it. I liked it as a kid, uh, but it's not available for streaming, so. Okay. Um, but I, I would like to revisit that. But look, we can have a big discussion, but you should see I'm gonna Dress go, to I'm going to go catch up on a couple of these movies that I haven't seen seen in a, a while. Yeah. I don't think you have to watch Hauling Three the Marsupials, but you could watch the documentary Not Quite Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I want to see Not Quite Hollywood. My, it'll, but. Give you a, it'll give you some movies that maybe you can search out and watch. 
send Criterion an email and tell them we need De Palma. Because that's what I would love. I'd love them to put some of his early stuff and even body. Like, I just want to have access to a whole bunch um, yeah. just because, again, even though I don't like a lot of his films, I don't think they're successful. I think they're hokey, bad acted and, and a bunch of stuff. Unmistakably, we're missing filmmakers that have a style that we can say, oh, that's theirs. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is none of the Brian De Palma movies, well, except maybe these more recent ones, feel like they're directed by an algorithm. They feel like they've got a real voice and a vision behind it. Whether it's successful or not is a different matter, but Brian De Palma has cinematic voice. All right. Well, just, we should wrap it up then before we... We had to talk about these things. We had to talk about those old, uh, those crappy uh, American assassins and things like that. I, I think it's important to know that those movies are out there and that we should be warned about them and that there's some sort of evil algorithmic force taking over world cinema. Well, I mean, again, this is what happens when we can't go to the movies and we're stuck with the streaming and, you know, we're going to fall into those pits. So, yes. And I'm like, hey, Michael Keaton, might as well check it out. It's true. And you know what? I Like I said, he was great. He's a great in the Chicago 7 movie, uh, even though I don't buy for a second any of what happened with his character mm -hmm. actually ever happened. <laughs> but, you know. Right. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see if you see it. But anyways, uh, TLZ. Z. Z. Don't forget yeah. the Z. Z. Um, hey, thanks, people, for watching. I know it's been a tough time uh, with this whole election thing, and I got a feeling a lot of people are distracted, but now now you can get distracted with our podcast. Yes. StuffWeSeen.com. Feedback at StuffWeSeen.com if you have some feedback for us. Uh, no one ever seems to. I don't know what that's all about. But <laughs> no, we get some every now and then. Well, like every, every six months, we get an email. Yeah, and I really Same. appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So send us some emails. We like them. We do. Yeah, I read them, and I tell you about them, too. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, there we go. Uh, so go watch some stuff on streaming. Watch The Howling 3, The Marsupials, and American <laughs> Assassins. See where we're recommending great things. Um, but uh, no, but if you have a criterion, you might want to check out Dress to Kill. Especially, look, if you haven't seen Dress to Kill, it's kind of like a, a movie that I feel like everybody has seen. Yeah, but I, 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 think, I think it's kind of forgotten, actually. But it's uh, I, I think it's a necessary part of anyone. Uh, it's 40 years old. That's it's 40 so years crazy. old. Yeah. And but the thing is is that if you have never seen that movie and you and you're like, I don't even know what this movie is, because you might be a younger listener, yeah. then just go and watch it without reading anything about it, because the only way that you might find some of the surprises surprising is if you don't know anything about the movie. Yeah. And we're gonna spoil the crap out of it in the oh, next episode. Oh yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. Not that it's, that's the whole part of the movie is that I never found that it was like a surprise, but no, uh, it's just Brian De Palma. Yeah, he tries to trick you though, and I found out some stuff watching the extras that I just didn't know, and 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 so I'm mad about it for him doing that, but at the same time, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you off off channel. So, anyways, goodbye, everybody. Bye bye. Oh,